this is Patrick Sharp, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here, and I am joined by one of the core members of the dynasty, Patrick Sharp himself. Patrick, how are you this morning? Hey, Frank. Nice to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really excited to have you on. Uh, really grateful for everything you've done for the city. Oh, I, uh, you don't have to say that. I appreciate that, but I'm thankful for what the city's done for the Sharp family. It's uh, a great, I don't even know, 10, 12, 13 years that we uh, we played on the Hawks, and we've lived in the city for longer than that, so it's, it feels like home now, and met a lot of great people over the years, and love Chicago. Yeah, love Chicago, but starting back at the way beginning, you started your career in Philadelphia with the Phantoms, an iconic franchise with a namesake spanning from Philly to Adirondack, now back to Lehigh Valley. Uh, how did winning the Calder Cup with guys like Mike Richards, Dennis Seidenberg, and your future Hawks teammate Ben Eager help you transition to the NHL? Yeah, it helped a lot, to be quite honest with you, Frank, and I don't know, you look at the the current Blackhawks team, uh, the star players, guys like Jonathan and, and Patrick, Alex Dabrinkit, these guys that are high picks in the draft, and they come into the NHL at a young age and they contribute right away. I wasn't like that at all. And uh, I was spent uh, maybe three, four seasons in the minors, up and down with the National Hockey League. It was a blessing that uh, I was drafted to the Flyers. Uh, the minor league team was sharing a, a, a workout facility with the NHL team. The game rink was in the same parking lot just next door. So from the age of, of 20 to 24, I was around NHLers every day, but I was doing my thing developing in the American Hockey League. And just as I felt like I was ready to take the next step and become an NHL player and contribute with the Flyers, uh, there was a lockout season, spent the whole year playing with the Phantoms, and we had so many great players on that team, Jeff Carter, uh, joined us late in the season. Mike Richards joined us in the second round of playoffs. There were guys like Todd Fedorik, RJ Umberger. You mentioned Dennis Seidenberg, Freddie Meyer, Yoni Pickett, and John Slaney. I mean, we can look up the team and list off all the names of the great players that were there. Uh, but we did win the championship, and a lot of us graduated to the NHL the next year. But getting back to your question, it helps a ton. Just that experience of playoff hockey. Our head coach, John Stevens, who has gone on to be a great coach in the NHL, even to this day, he's with the Dallas Stars. Uh, he taught me a lot about competing, being a professional, showing up to work every day and, and taking hockey seriously as a job, uh, as it is. Uh, coming out of college, I had a lot to learn. And that playoff run taught me a lot. I look back at, at the 2005 Calder Cup, the lessons I learned, I took with me to Chicago. And it was a bunch of years later that we got back into the playoffs, but it all felt the same, just at a different level. Yeah, that's really important because if you have that playoff experience at a younger age, I think it really kind of takes some of the pressure off when you get back there in the NHL. Yeah, I was so excited in 2009 when the Hawks were turning the corner. Joel Quenville was coaching the team. Kane and Taze were stars in the league, and we made the playoffs for the first time in a long time in Chicago. And I just remember the feeling of the United Center Playing against the Calgary Flames, that was kind of the first uh, playoff series that that core group uh, played together. And um, it was just the energy, the intensity. We didn't really have a team that was going to win a Stanley Cup that year, I don't think. But when you looked around the room and you, and you saw how hard the guys were playing and, and, and how badly uh, that, that group wanted to win, that's, that's step one, Frank, in winning championships. You need everybody to, to really 
pull their game up to another level come playoff time. We had a bunch of guys that did that, and I feel like that's the the bottom line of our success. We had a, a competitive group of guys that just wanted to win, and, and that Calgary series was where I learned that we were going to be okay. Yeah, and that's really important. So just talking about your time with the Blackhawks, obviously uh, Chairman Rocky Wirtz took over right uh, in the middle of your Blackhawks career. How did you see the team evolve from a player's perspective once uh, Rocky took over? Yeah, it was incredible uh, transformation, to be quite honest with you. And I'm so lucky and fortunate when I look back on my career. So much of it has to do with timing, just like anything in life. Uh, let things happen and continue to work hard and everything will, will be just fine. After the, the Calder Cup season, the following year, I was traded to the Blackhawks. And at the time, uh, Philadelphia was a first place team in the East and the Blackhawks were at least they had the reputation as, you know, being one of the worst teams in all of professional sports. That's what I was told when I came mm-hmm. to Chicago. And playing at the United Center full of uh, six, seven, eight thousand fans a game, uh, a lot of the games weren't even televised for the local audience. Um, I knew that Chicago had a passionate fan base and things were going to be okay if we could just get everybody excited about hockey. And, and you mentioned Rocky Wirtz and, and his family, and John McDonough came on board, and all of a sudden, uh, the Hawks started to be featured around town. You'd hear about this Kane and this Taves kid and this Marion Hosa guy that we signed. All of a sudden, we became a topic of conversation, and the timing just worked out that these great players on the team, Keith and Seabrook, everybody was kind of developing at the right time. Uh, the United Center started to fill up, and when I look back at my first game in December of 2005, uh, to where it's gone now, watching this uh, this great team play in, in 2021. As soon as we can get the fans back in the building, it's, it's an atmosphere like no other. So it was amazing to be a part of it, a small part of it. But more than anything, it was interesting to, to just see how it all unfold. I learned a lot uh, about the game, about the business, and... It was, um, you know, really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be a part of that transformation. And that's really important because I was a youngster, four or five years old, when Rocky took over of the Blackhawks. So I didn't, I didn't really have the experience of seeing it pre-Rocky. But what I've heard and how Rocky transformed it in such a positive way really just shone brightly upon the players. Yeah, we all enjoyed uh, playing for the Hawks. There's a reason why... All these players uh, come back to the Blackhawks second and third time in some cases, and a lot of guys that, that played a few years in Chicago remain local and live in the city or out in the suburbs or wherever the Chicagoland area. And it's um, It feels like family, to be quite honest with you. The group that we had was a special one, but I truly believe that the fans put us over the, over the top and the energy in the United Center, walking around town, seeing the support for the team, uh, really helped us keep pushing there and, and a big reason for the, the success of that core group. And that's so incredible. Just I remember before I got into journalism, I was a fan of hockey before I became a student of the game, if you will. And just going to games as a young kid, you know, like you said, if it's if it's energizing from a fan's perspective, I can imagine the players just feeding off of that, the, the stranglehold coming out of the tunnel after the horn sounds. Yeah, and you could feel it on the ice too in the gameplay. Frank, just the way the game would, would turn out. We'd be playing a young team or an inexperienced team across the way, and we'd look at them in warm-ups, and there'd be all kinds of fans wearing the, the red jerseys, and the energy in the building was loud. Then all of a sudden, Jimmy Cornelison comes out and sings the anthem. Um, I don't want to say it became normal to us. I got pumped up before every game 
just naturally because of the the environments of the United Center. But looking across the way and seeing some visitors visiting team players, I could see the looks on their face that wow, this is this is pretty special. And I think it was a huge home ice advantage to us at a lot of different times throughout the season, different years. Um, watching the end of games, how many times did you see the Hawks come back? Oh my like God! The third period, and you know we're left for dead. All of a sudden, Kaner scores a goal. We get a power play. We call a timeout. We steal it in overtime. I mean, it was no accident that it happened time and time again. And I think the environment at the United Center had a lot to do with that. Yeah, I'll never forget those kind of come from behind, rally the troops kind of games. But shifting to you as a player, Patrick, you know you had a two hundred foot style of play wherever you went, but especially in Chicago, transitioning between zones seamlessly. Where did you learn that versatility? Yeah, in Philadelphia, probably that's how my career started. Um, mentioned before, I wasn't a, a top prospect. I certainly wasn't considered to be an offensive prospect coming out of, of college. I think Ken Hitchcock and John Stevens, the coaches of the Philadelphia organization, kind of drilled that into me those first four years in the minors, the importance of uh, winning face-offs, being a penalty killer, being good in all three zones, not just focusing so much on goals and assists and offense, but to be an everyday player, you got to be good in all three zones. And that was really my only goal uh, coming out of college at the University of Vermont. I just wanted to be an everyday NHL player. And um, Over the years, my game evolved. Uh, when I first started in Chicago, I was a centerman. I was kind of a, a third, fourth line checking centerman. I was going to kill penalties, not play on the power play. And then it's funny how the career ended. I was basically only playing the power play and, and none of the other things. So I was taught at a very young age. Dennis Savard was a, a person that really was a mind that put me in a lot of different situations, whether it was center, left wing, right wing. I played defense on the power play, uh, played power, uh, penalty kill and, and power play at different times throughout my career. I was taught to be available to do anything and that'll keep you in the league and I'm thankful for a lot of those great coaches and mentors I had over the years. And that's so important, the Savardian spinorama, uh, putting you, putting you, putting you on the in, in the in a jack of all trades role because that's what really helped you. You know, obviously I'm too young to remember the Savardian spinoramas live because I wasn't around yet. But yeah, that's right. Well, he didn't teach me that. Savvy, he kept that one close to the best. I wish I would have learned that spinorama. Maybe I would have had a few more goals or passes the way Kaner can do it, but uh, I just stuck to the basics of it. No, and that's and that's incredible. <laughs> no, I remember I like I said I I had to study a lot of the history of the Blackhawks before I got into the business and you know the Savardian stuff that he taught you really passed along to everyone else on the team is so critical because that versatility role is because what if what if one guy get, goes down for the year? Like I mean, look what happened. Um, I'll I'll look I'll look into to what happened with with Dallas, where Ben Bishop was out for an extended period of time, and you only had one really solid goaltender until Jake Ottinger showed up. How do you how do you balance out your play to to compensate for the injuries in the lineup? Yeah, and there's a lot of different peaks and valleys throughout an 82 game schedule. It's it's not always. Uh, who can score the most goals and then light up the offensive score sheet. Sometimes you're playing shorthanded, as you mentioned. Sometimes you've got some guys coming up to the minors that are going to play big roles on your team, and maybe the the team strategy changes a little bit. Maybe you want to keep the puck out of your net. Maybe you want to have a low-scoring game, try to frustrate the other team. So if you're used to just playing one style of play, that becomes predictable. You can, you can kind of react to, to players' tendencies and what you think they're going to do before they even do it. Uh, that's one thing I learned from Keith and Seabrook, to be quite honest with you. They they grew into the, the shutdown defending type role, those two, 
and it would be amazing talking to them the night before the game in the hotel. They would they would know who they're playing against the next day, what line they'd be matched up against, you know, what the the players on that line like to do, you know, how they play. Is one guy a straight line skater who shoots the puck from the outside? Does one guy like to set up right inside the offensive blue line and look to hit players coming in? late for opportunity it was it was amazing the the work that they put in the, the knowledge of each player that they matched up against so so you're right it's it's important to be versatile it's important to to be a student of the game always keep learning and um that's that's the big thing i learned from some of these great teammates and coaches i had yeah so a magic question for you kind of a uh, magician style question did you know the puck went in initially against philadelphia in game six 2010 I did, believe it or not, and, uh, and that's the truth. If you, if you go back and watch the clip, I'm uh, Kaner's got the puck on a strong side on the half wall, makes a great move on the defenseman, and I think he really caught everybody by surprise with this quick, hard, low shot that does stayed along the ice. And where I was standing was basically straight away from the net at the tops of the circles, and Kaner as a knack, as we know, of finding players in open positions. And I was just trying to be available, hoping that maybe uh, Kaner would set me up for another backdoor tap-in goal and we could win the Stanley Cup. He shot it quick, and I saw the back pad that was along the ice, the white pad. I just saw it kind of flinch a little bit. I didn't see the puck because it was underneath the pad, but I saw the pad flinch. I saw Kaner's reaction, and uh, if you go back and watch my reaction, I'm doing everything I can to, to tackle Kaner. Uh, as he's rounding the net, Andrew Ladd, my teammate and line mate, kind of set a good pick on me. I had to skate around him, and that's what allowed Kaner to get all the way down the ice. But it was a weird celebration, because, and I, I agree that it was a weird one because I don't think a lot of people knew it was in. Everybody was just reacting to Kaner. Um, but I did see it go in. I knew the game was over. I knew we were Stanley Cup champs. And, and once they confirmed it, the officials, uh, we had almost like a secondary celebration on the ice. <laughs> it was unbelievable. One of the, the coolest moments I've been a part of. Yeah. That's that's incredible. I remember the the Doc Emmerich call. He's like, they're celebrating down at the other end of the ice. What chaos! And at at nine years old, you know, uh, when that happened, you know, it was really kind of like, okay, do we go ballistic or do we hold our breath? And then, like you said, after the after the secondary confirmation, it was like, oh my God, we just won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and that's how a lot of our players and the team and coaches and. Everybody really was thinking, because we're in the middle of overtime, um, we don't want to go to Game 7, although that would have been pretty cool, don't you think, to play Game 7 yeah. in Chicago for the Cup on the line, but uh, there's a few of us that knew it was over, and it was party time, and then there was a, a majority of the team that was kind of staying in the moment, just in case uh, we're still got to keep playing here, you don't want to let your thoughts get away from you, but once the officials said, hey, it's a good goal, game over, Cup is Chicago's, it was, it was awesome, hugs from everybody, and um, what was cool about that night was we, we stayed in, in Philadelphia for a, a few hours after the game celebrating. We got on the plane and came home, and, and and we knew the city was behind us, and we knew the fan base was excited, but getting off that plane at whatever time it was and seeing the response of the city was, like, mind-blowing to a lot of us, me in particular. I, I couldn't believe how excited people were that I knew we cared. The guys in the fight on the ice battling every day for two months, I knew that it was is all we focused on. But, 
man, the, the support from the city was incredible, and, and it was just an awesome couple of weeks kind of trying to share that Stanley Cup with everybody in Chicago. And that's, that's really important, sharing it with the fans, because they're the ones that are buying into it, getting night in and night out, besides you, the players. And it's so it's so critical and so important um, to just just acknowledge that and I think you're doing a really great job of like staying humble with that because you played a really big role in the in the in the playoffs and just uh turning it over to the fans is really really speaks volumes so props to you on that Patrick yeah buddy well it's the truth I mean uh the fans pushed us in a lot of different situations to be our best and then that was 2010 if you fast forward five years to 2015 you know we'd been in that playoff situation so many times before those fans uh they wouldn't let us off the hook, you know. It was <laughs> a team that can go win. Let's go win another one, and, and it pushed us to be better, and we did that. Yeah. So going back to the Detroit series, 2013, I I remember after game, what was it, game four, uh, that it was three three one uh three three one or two one in favor of Detroit, and just just how does how does a team rally behind each other in that kind of scenario, and what's the mindset? going into the other games and how were you able to turn that series around and go forward and eventually win the cup against Boston? Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting season, the 2013 year. Uh, the season started in January. It was a 48 game schedule and um, going into the season, uh, nobody really knew what they had as a group. That's a long time to be off uh, from playing games. And the, the previous two seasons, the Blackhawks lost in the first round of the playoffs once to Vancouver, the second time to the Phoenix Coyotes, they were called back then in 2012. So going into 2013, uh, we definitely didn't know that uh, we had a team that could win the cup. And we started that season 24 games without a loss. So all of a sudden expectations were placed pretty high up the ladder there that um, we're going to the playoffs and let's try to do our best to win the cup again. So, we won the first round against Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota was in all kinds of trouble. They had injuries everywhere. I think they were playing their third or fourth string goaltender at the time. So not that it was an easy series, but we were, were favorites to win, and we did win, I think, in five games. And then now we got the wings coming in. And the history with Detroit-Chicago was was well documented, and those wings teams in the, the 2000 to I don't know, you, you picked the era. They were always just a strong team. They had so many Hall of Famers in their group. They had a, a winning culture. They were a very difficult team to play against, and a lot of times over the years they would beat the Hawks, uh, our teams. We learned a lot from, from taking those lumps, and now we have a chance to play them in a playoff series again. We, of course, they beat us in 2009 in the conference finals. Mm-hmm. So it was like, here we go again, huge rivalry. This time maybe we're the favorites, and uh, we win game one. We lose the next three. And uh, here goes our great season uh, about to end. Uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings, our rival, are going to beat us uh, yet again. And we got to figure out, pick up the pieces from there. Well, what the spark to turn around, I'm not quite sure. But that was the series where Jonathan was struggling a little bit. And uh, it was the game. He took three penalties in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Right in the box. Brent Seabrook goes over. Of course, the iconic moment. Mm-hmm. With the leadership of those two players and Taser scored shortly after that. Brian Bickle was playing great hockey. Throw leak scores on a penalty shot. Michael Hanzus had some words to say in the locker room when our backs were against the wall. When a guy like that speaks, who I'm not sure if you know Zeus a whole lot, but he's not the most vocal teammate. He's a professional, had a great career, and, and he's a player you want on winning teams, but he spoke up 
when our backs were against the wall, and that kind of gave us a little bit of a, a push as well. So it was a cool, a cool comeback. Uh, the moment when Seabrook scores in Game Seven in, in overtime was was one of the, the coolest moments I've ever been a part of. The energy in, in the building that night was was off the hook. It was it was crazy, and that was just the second round of playoffs. So that was a great series, and it often gets talked about as one of the best of that that core group. Yeah, I'll never I'll never forget the 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 Seabrook overtime winner and just the the Boland hit jarring the puck loose. Seabrook coming down right down Broadway and just firing it right over Jimmy Howard. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Boland hit because Dave Boland was the guy that, you know, we have so many great players in that organization, but he often didn't get the credit he deserved as, as just being a great hockey player. He would show up when the games were the biggest, and that was a, a key point in that play. He makes a big hit, the puck scores free, and here comes the big fella, Seabs, to, to finish it off. So, uh, Bowley was a great teammate, an awesome playoff performer, and, and had a big role on all those teams as well. Yeah, I remember talking with uh, Mr. Boland and Dave. Just, just really, it was a, it was a great time to highlight somebody who might not have gotten all the accolades, but definitely put in all the work. That's what's special about those teams is we have unbelievable, talented players, and we know who those guys are, and uh, they deserve all the credit for the success that they've had as individuals and in helping us get over the top, but. There are so many guys that, that don't get mentioned as really being contributing players to those teams, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Dave Bowling. Yeah, so keeping with the Brent Seabrook thing, obviously uh, Brent Seabrook announced his retirement pretty recently. What legacy did he leave with you as a teammate and a friend? Yeah, probably the best teammate that, uh, that I've ever had. A uh, guy that always thinks about the group first and then himself next. Um, First-round pick back in when things weren't so hot in Chicago and then he's there for every step of the way in, in helping the turnaround along with others. And, uh, just kind of the, the guy that always looked out for everybody in the room. And if you, we had a new guy come to our team, if there was a lot of turnover with, with new players coming and going on the roster, seems to be the first guy to reach out and, and have a player come over to the house for dinner and get them comfortable in the city. When I joined Chicago, uh, I think I was 24 years old, and Seabs was 18, and he would come down to the hotel that I was staying in and pick me up in his pickup truck and drive <laughs> me to practice. I mean, it, it should have been the other way around. I'm yeah. 24, he's 18, but he's already acting like a leader at that age. So uh, that's that's what I think of as, as the player, um, but let's not diminish what he can do on the ice. Very offensively creative mind. He would often score some overtime winners or get an assist in the playoff moments. Uh, that's often overlooked with his game. He's, of course, our most physical defenseman for all those uh, those playoff games. And uh, the leadership qualities as well. So he would often do the dirty work up there, block a lot of shots, kill penalties, keep the, the, the pulse of the team where it needed to be, always running his mouth, laugh a joke, and taking shots at everybody. <laughs> a huge presence in the locker room, and, and we all wish him the best of luck in retirement. He's got an awesome family. He's got a great life ahead of him, and... And, uh, you know, you can't be saying anything bad about Brent Seabrook. It's it's, uh, as good as it comes as a teammate, as a player, and we should all be celebrating his career as one of the greatest Blackhawks in the history of the organization. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Just the physicality, the gritty, grinding, physical player, but also with that offensive spark. 
So playing in the Sochi Olympics for Canada, I mean, it was a different format. Um, how was it playing against your Blackhawks teammates like Kane, Hossa, Oduya, and Jalmerson, all while coming out on top with a gold medal? Yeah, it was different, that's for sure. It was my, uh, my first and only Olympics, 2014, and it's, it's a weird feeling because those guys that you mentioned, uh, and there were others in the Olympic Games that you, know, you, you battle with every single day for months and years, and then all of a sudden they put on a different colored uniform and we have a, a two-, three-week tournament for, for medals. It, it, it did feel a little bit different, but it was a collection of great players uh, with a job to do, so... I always had my eye on the, on the Hawks that were playing for their countries. I'd root for them, except when they played against us. For sure. But <laughs> yeah. things were honestly happening so fast in that tournament that I didn't have a. It wasn't your regular NHL game. It was uh, it was high level competition. Every player, every line, every defenseman. It was just as good as it gets. Um, I look back on that tournament and, and kind of wish I could remember more about it because it was two weeks of of high pace hockey, uh, a lot going on, and, and uh, we were able to get away with the gold medal, but very cool to get all those great players on the ice together, best and, on best. Yeah, that best on best matchup, and obviously we hope the NHL goes back to the Olympics at some point soon. But it's really, it's really exciting just to have that camaraderie even when you're, even when you're playing against each other. Yeah, and I remember the handshake line after the USA game in the semifinals, uh, Kaner was was on the other side, and uh, obviously a very difficult moment. Tournament's over, or for them at least, the gold medal hopes are over. And uh, you, you shake your hands with your you know best buddy at center ice, your teammate from Chicago, and it's it's, it's difficult. I remember back in 2010 seeing Kane and Taves hug each other at center ice, <clears throat> one wearing Canadian jersey, the other wearing an American jersey. It's pretty special. It's what makes hockey so great, is that we're out there competing, but. Um, there's such great relationships off the ice as well. Yeah, so just talk about returning to Chicago. You know, after being traded to Dallas, uh, the video tribute comes on the scoreboard. Uh, what was going through your mind as you saw the the video, and where did you get the idea to take out the full-page advertisement in the newspaper? Yeah, that's um, just something I saw over the years. I guess that was the sign of the times. I mean, nowadays it's... I suppose you use social media and, and you get your message across that way, but I never haven't really been too keen on, on the social media stuff, so I just felt like that was uh, a way of saying thank you to the, the Blackhawks fans for for really helping me grow up over the years. They joined the city when I was 24 years old and almost 40 now, so they've been a big part of my life. It was sad to leave Chicago. I was sad to leave Philadelphia. I was a player that I like to lay roots down, and it's probably not the best thing to do when you're a professional athlete because yeah. players do bounce around all the mm -hmm. time and it's a business and you gotta play for the team that, that you're on but uh, it was a big moment we had just won three Stanley Cups and uh, and now I'm playing for the Dallas Stars who really when I look back on those two years in Dallas uh, I don't think I appreciated how great it is in Texas and in Dallas and how that organization was was kind of like the Blackhawks were a few years prior you know they had a collection of great players they were on the up and up. They were doing all the right things on and off the ice, and it was just a matter of time before they were going to win. And if you look at the Dallas Stars team, uh, they got to the Stanley Cup final last year with a team that was certainly good enough to win, and they have another one now that, that's hunting our Hawks to get into the playoffs. So uh, I was fortunate to go to a good place in Dallas. I look back at my career. I played for Philly. I played for Chicago. I played for Dallas. It uh, doesn't get much better than that as far as three organizations the way I was treated. So... 
Uh, but getting back to returning to the United Center, it was actually a father's trip for the Dallas Stars. So my dad was on the trip with us, uh, with the Dallas Stars. He was in the building watching. Uh, my wife and, and the kids flew up from Dallas back to Chicago for the weekend to watch the game. And, and it was pretty emotional to see the response and something I'll always remember. Yeah, and I remember watching that game live and just saying, hey, we're not, we're not changing the channel even if it goes to commercial because you don't know what's going up on that video board. And, and it's so, it, was, it was a really special moment. And I, I saw you getting emotional on the, in the, as the camera focused on you. But and justifiably so. I mean, this was where you grew up, like you said. And it was, it was so important that you be honored in that way. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was not necessary, but it was great. The Blackhawks put a video together that uh, they're the best at that. And um, it was a cool moment. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to come back to finish my career in Chicago, my final year of hockey. Uh, it meant a lot to me to be in a Blackhawks jersey uh, for the last time. And um, I'm thankful to play for the Stars. I'm thankful to be drafted by the Flyers. But I think it's safe to say that, that Chicago is, is my squad. Yeah, so... While you were with the Blackhawks, are there any moments that might have flown under the radar, like team bonding or funny moments that we might not have heard about that you want to share with us? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, a lot of the stuff that happened with the team was documented. That's the cool thing about it. Our, as the players were getting better, as the fans were coming back to the United Center, uh, the front office and our media department, they were... They were as good as it gets and still are as far as the National Hockey League, as far as getting content from the players. I mean, I, I remember once upon a time, Christopher Stieg and Brian Campbell, Kane and Taves in like full body speed skating outfits, you know, doing like the on ice Olympics. Oh, yeah. These moments are like hilarious to me to look back and think, how did they get us to do that kind of stuff? You know, but the, the personalities of the team, kind of were broadcasted to the, the local fan base, and I feel like that's what helped us connect with each other. The fans started to, to really like the players because we were open in that way, and that's what's special about those groups is, is the memories that I have. There's a lot that, that aren't on camera and aren't documented, but the, a lot of the year-by-year -year stuff was, was filmed, so it's, it's kind of cool to look back at all those videos. Yeah, I'll remember. One of my favorites is actually like a 10-year-old video with you, and I think it was uh, Adam Uncle Adam Burrish, as you call him, um, <laughs> at the hotel with uh, Taves and Kane with the room service and the ice bucket near the door. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the thing I miss the most now, Frankie, is the, is the time in the hotel. Like, think about it. You're, you got a, a hallway, and in every room there's a buddy. You know, so you can bounce around, see your friends, you can mess with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like you're, you got your 20 best friends hanging around you, and, and life is good. So the camaraderie that those teams had was very special. And, and that Adam Burrish was an awesome roommate. We would always be doing stupid things like that. What a great way to grow up in your, in your 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I hope I get some of that experience growing up in my 20s as I just barely am going to hit that mark this fall. But what was the learning curve like going from player to analyst for you? Oh, it's still still working on it and um, I've enjoyed the process I got some advice at the end of my career to, to stay busy stay active don't go home and and, uh, and sit on your butt stay active stay in the community uh, stay in the game somehow and NBC gave me an opportunity to do that uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into to be quite honest with you <laughs> uh, but it seems like every week every year I seem to improve a little Little, little small steps and 
it's something I, I've really enjoyed. Keith Jones has become, uh, I said on the air one time, he's my new best friend. It's like, he, I think it's true. I mean, I spend so much time with Keith Jones. He's helped me in that business a ton. I know you're getting started yourself, and you've got your eyes on on, on broadcasting as well. He's uh, You should get him on the show one of these days and pick his brain about, about the broadcasting industry because he's been doing it for so many years, and, and he's as knowledgeable as anybody. So NBC's been great. There's a lot to learn. Um, but more than anything, I just enjoy being a part of the team there and, and having fun. It's a, it's a pretty good job, don't you think? You get to watch hockey. Heck talk yeah. Your experience and, uh, and life is good. Yeah, at the time of this taping, Patrick, we actually literally a week ago just recorded with Keith Jones. And for our uh-huh. Tomahawk Roundup listeners, that will be coming out in a couple weeks from the time of this air date. So be sure to check your Twitter feeds for that. But yeah, we did uh, about a 30 minute segment with Keith Jones. Great interview. Well, there you go. I mean, I didn't even know that. Uh, but yeah, he's an awesome guy. Much funnier in person. Um, I wish he would say some of the stuff on camera that he says off camera. <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd have a whole different show, but he's, uh, he's a great man, a great friend, and I'm glad you had him on. Yeah, so what are some projects that you might currently be working on that our listeners should take note of? Yeah, just more of the NBC stuff. We got the playoffs coming up. Um, just trying to focus on that to be quite honest with you and then when I'm away from from hockey I can focus in on my my two girls they're playing softball now Madeline and Sadie are seven and nine years old wow uh, which is crazy to me because it seems like yesterday when they were born and what I love about the broadcasting industry versus playing is if I had a bad game uh, on the ice as a player it would stay with me when I came home I wouldn't be able to turn the page I'd focus on it I couldn't wait to get back to the rink the next day and it was just hockey 24 hours a day where now it's as soon as that show is over I can I can unplug a little bit come home um, be with Abby be with the kids and kind of be dad a little bit. Yeah. uh, I'm most enjoying right now. That's so fun, Patrick, just getting to be the dad and have some fun, watch your kids play softball. I know that's where I started out in my broadcast journey was actually with the Chicago Bandits of the National Pro Fast Pitch was my first internship. So I definitely can relate to how important softball can be. Yeah, there's something about, I grew up playing baseball and my dad was, was our coach. And my brother was a lot better baseball player than I was, but my, my dad coached our age group. And uh, some of the best memories that I have in my life, to be quite honest with you, are at the field with my dad. And so now, you said I'm watching my kids. I can't sit there and watch. I'm a coach for both teams. Oh, wow. I'm on the field. I'm, uh, I'm teaching my daughters and all the other kids as best I can. But it's the atmosphere. It's, it's being on a team. When one of the girls is at the plate, all the other kids on the team are cheering for that that batter and, and that's what I love about it is they're getting those great team building experiences you know that's where I learned a lot of my lessons in life is being a part of a team um, and you can take those lessons into any area of your life and it's going to translate well yeah Patrick before we head out today is there anything you want to say to our listeners around the U.S. Canada and beyond no I just want to say keep tuning in to my boy Frankie you're, you're great at the job already pal you should uh, join us on NBC tonight we'll We'll get a good show together. You have a bright future in the business. I enjoy talking with you, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. All right, Patrick Sharp, thank you so much for the time. All right, buddy. Talk soon.